even you know your license in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, you know some rules are are different in one place versus another part of the country, even if the states are neighboring. These aren't really rules, though. These are just kind of good practices that I thought would be good to review with you. And there are some actually legal elements to this. So you could pull the real estate, real estate law side of the podcast into this. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. And welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Once again, my name is Jason Muth, and I'm here with attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Titletown Real Estate and Urban Village Legal in Boston. Welcome, Rory. How are you? Thanks, Jason. I'm excited for today's conversation. Yeah, you know, I I threw this topic your way. Uh, it was in a forum that we're both uh, members of in on Facebook. You know, we subscribe to lots of real estate uh, groups on Facebook uh, across the country, various uh, partnerships and. Um, you, you know, companies that you're aligned with uh, sponsor all these amazing groups, and it brings uh, agents and brokers and people affiliated together from all different walks of life, all different parts of the industry. Um, and there was a really interesting comment, um, I should say, a really interesting post that somebody made about submitting an offer uh, in a seller's market. And these are quote unquote words from a listing agent. I forget where the original poster was from. I think it was somewhere in Virginia or North Carolina. Uh, but I think a lot of these these points are relevant to a lot of sellers markets across the country right now. It was a very spirited discussion afterward. And, and most people actually agreed with uh, the majority of these. There were, there were 10 items, actually 11, but the 11th was just kind of like inspirational, but we'll bring we'll, we'll break them all down. But most people agreed with all the different comments uh, and there were some alternative ways to think about some of those comments as well. So I actually thought uh, we would get your opinion uh, of, of what the original poster is talking about by submitting an offer in a seller's market and all the different things that I believe she was witnessing uh, in a situation where she had almost 40 offers on a property after one open house. It's And I like a lot of these comments too, because I get very opinionated over what are really small issues to other people. So this is perfect. Yeah. And, you know, every state's a little bit different, you know, even, you know, your license in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, you know, some rules are, are different in one place versus another part of the country, even if the states are neighboring. Uh, these aren't really rules, though. These are just kind of good practices uh, that I thought would be good to review with you. And there are some actually legal elements to this. So you could pull the, the real estate real estate law side of the podcast into this. Yeah. And all the comments that I know that I'm going to make today are not necessarily state specific. So this is not taking a deep dive into the Massachusetts code today. We are actually talking about some good practices uh, with the legal tinge that affect every market. Right. Right. You know, I should have, I should have not sent you all this in advance and just hit, you know, hmm. record and said, Hey guys, I have, I have 10 comments. I want you to comment on all 10 of these things and see how you do. But okay, here we go. So here are a couple of the things that uh, this listing agent mentioned. Uh, when she received almost 40 offers on a property over the course of the weekend. And, and what she was able to do is, is dive down into all those offers. They all came uh, at different price points. Uh, they came uh, from in different situations uh, in, in terms of, I'd imagine, cash offers or uh, high down payments, um, different levels of fund uh, financing. Uh, they came from probably different uh, agencies uh, in, in her market 
Uh, and some of them I'm sure were really buttoned up and some of them probably led to, you know, why she wrote this. <laughs> so we'll start off with this one. So this, uh, she says, uh, as sweet as the photos of your clients are with their kids and their pets and as heart wrenching as the personal letters might be, please don't send them with the offer. This could invite discrimination in a lawsuit for all of us. If a violation of fair housing laws is claimed per her realtor association, I've heard of people doing this. What are your comments? I wholeheartedly agree with this post. Love letters to properties um, need to be phased and they need to be phased up quickly. They are inviting uh, discrimination. You know, obviously, if you have a photo, you can infer a lot of things about people from the photo. Um, and even a, a well-written letter is going to delve into some things that might add up to, to housing discrimination. I would actually take this a few steps further and actually suggest that the listing itself and the agent to agent notes should actually um, prohibit the love letters up front um, and let all the prospective buyer agents know that you won't be accepting any love letters. And I'd go even beyond that into your listing agreement with the between the listing uh, broker and the uh, seller to actually put that in the contract saying that if I do receive a love letter, I'm not going to show it to you. And you agree to me not having show, show it to you because we have the collision of two different ethical rules coming together here. One, you can't participate in any housing discrimination. And that's what these love letters can really get you very close to. Um, but at the same time, you have a duty to your seller to transmit all the offers in full that you've received. So you were setting up a tension here between those two obligations if a love letter is attached to it. So I would, if I were a listing agent, I would catch it from the beginning, put it in my listing agreement with the, sell, the seller saying that we are not going to accept love letters and you agree to not um, have them be uh, transmitted to you. I would put it in the listing notes itself saying that love letters will not be accepted for this property. And then um, as a buyer's agent, I would back off of relying on this. This is, I know you're trying to make your offer stand out, but there are other ways to do it. And this is, this is not the solution. Is love letters the technical term for what we're referring to here? No, but that's actually what the um, Greater Boston Association of Realtors is calling them um, in all of their communications about them. Um, so I've adopted that language too. I think it makes sense and it's a great shorthand. So keep the love letters written uh, in, the, in the box underneath your bed. Yes. They're, they're not for houses. They're for people, not for houses. Okay. Uh, second point. Don't forget to include the lender's loan approval letter with the offer. Be sure if it references an address, it's the one you're offering on and not the one for the house your client lost on the day before. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure, and there are a couple other things that are inherent in that post too. So this is another one that I completely agree with. You want to make sure that you have an accurate and updated pre-approval letter that you can submit with um, all of your offers. I don't know why you would necessarily be putting a particular address on each one, but if you are, make sure you're submitting the right form um, and make sure that the date of it is, is recent enough that it's still plausible and doesn't appear to be expired. Also make sure that the lender took some time to make the letter look neat. I know this is trite, but I've seen pre-approval letters where the name is not capitalized. The spaces are, there are just odd spaces in the heading. That looks as though the lender didn't really review anything. They just typed your name quickly into an app and spit out a pre-approval letter without any thought. Um, just these are really important documents. This is a competitive market and everything matters. The pre-approval is key. Um, so at least make sure it's in good order and everything looks mm -hmm. right. 
I don't know if I'm making this up or maybe we talked about it in a previous episode or just you and I talked about it offline, but like, didn't, did you get like a forged pre-approval letter once or something that was very falsified or maybe I'm making that up? I don't remember ever receiving a forged or a fake uh, pre-approval letter, but um, it, they're also, when you start to work with different lenders, um, you start to understand which lenders are stronger and which ones are weaker than others. Um, and you also want to make sure that the pre-approval actually means something that this, this is not just based on the information that they submitted on this web form. We think they might maybe someday be able to qualify for a loan in this amount. Um, so the lender's trustworthiness and the completeness uh, matters. All right. On to number three, uh, please call or text to let the listing agent know you're submitting an offer and be sure it was received. I don't want to find it in my spam folder a week later. And I know you don't either. That, that seems pretty obvious, but what percentage of agents do you think are, are not, you know, notifying a listing agent that a offer is coming over? Probably not insignificant, right? It is insignificant. Um, you know, and there's some. There are different varieties of this. You know, calling and texting in addition to sending the email over is good. You can even say, just please confirm receipt to my email. And if I don't hear a confirmation in 20 minutes or so, then you better be sure that I'm calling and texting. Just think of the number of emails that you get on any given day. If you have language in your email that says $200,000 or $500,000, here's an offer and a, a you know attachment from a, a sender they don't recognize, that's very likely going to end up in their spam folder. So you know if you don't hear anything back, assume it wasn't received um, and keep calling, keep texting until you know that the listing agent has, um, has it and that they're going to present it. So as a listing agent, even in a situation where 40 offers might be coming in, it's probably customary to receive those calls or texts from people that are submitting offers. And it's also probably customary for that listing agent to acknowledge them, right? Like, have you been it's, in situations where you're submitting offers and you never get an acknowledgement back that, oh yeah, I got this. Like they should just write back quick text, thanks so much or something, right? They should, and they they do. That's actually an ethical obligation. Um, you as a um, buyer's agent have the right to confirmation that your offer has been received and that it's been presented to the seller, um, both of those. And if you don't get that from the listing agent, that's a violation of the ethics um, and a violation of your, your rights as the buyer's agent. And the listing agent should be appreciative. Even if they are receiving 40 offers, you took the time, you and your client sat down and put together an offer. That's what they have been wanting the whole time. They put up the listing, they want this from you. Um, so, you know, any, if they don't, if they can't take the time to thank you for your offer and acknowledge receipt of it, that's bad practice and part of the listing agent. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing with, you know, getting 40 offers. I mean, like right now the sellers kind of hold the cards. It's not always the case, but right now they do. But even with that, everyone's got to be professional. You know, you, you got to get back to people, you know, you're offering up a property. You have an obligation to the people you're selling the property for, even though everybody wants it. And everyone's willing to outbid each other on the property. Like, you know, you don't have to be mean about it, right? You have to get back to people in a professional manner because, you know, you also want to maintain a good, a good reputation. Don't, you know, you don't have an arrogant persona to be like, hey, listen, like, do you want it or not? Like, I'll get back to you if I get back to you. I mean, that's, that's probably not going to go far in this business. No, you'll be doing business with the same agents over and over again throughout your career. It's not that difficult to be polite and appreciative and you never know what's going to happen. So yeah. just thank the buyer's agent for submitting the offer and get back to them. Okay. 
Okay, number four, uh, and, and there was actually some uh, debate over this next one, so I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. Don't ask me to tell you what the other offers are. You know I can't do that. That was the, that was the statement right there. So I disagree with this one in large point because it's a common misperception that there's a big ethical rule saying that you cannot disclose what uh, if you've received other offers or what they are. That is not the case. And in fact, the decision there is largely bound up in the listing agreement that the listing agent has with the seller. Um, that question is addressed at the beginning of the seller broker relationship uh, and how you want to treat offers that come in. Um, so you may be in a situation where the seller instructs you to disclose the fact that you've received other offers and not their terms, or the seller could authorize you to reveal the terms. So it's not always true that you can't disclose the terms. If you are in a multiple offer situation, you probably don't want to keep um, to run it as an auction where you're telling everybody the numerical value of every single offer that comes in, but you can disclose some of the terms and, and some of the things that you're working with. But if you're going to do that, you want to make sure that you're giving the same message to the whole applicant pool and you're not um, favoring one particular buyer um, over others. So that may be a very good reason why the listing agent doesn't want to reveal that information. Um, but yes, it. so I, I maybe agree with some of the sentiment and some of the directives of this point, but I don't agree with this point in a literal sense. So we're talking about submitting uh, an offer in a seller's market, and we're running through a situation where a listing agent had almost 40 offers uh, and had some thoughts about uh, what to do and, and not to do uh, after having received this many offers. And we're getting uh, Worry, Gill, uh, Attorney Broker, Nexum Title Town, uh, and Urban Village Legal. We're getting your opinion on all of these. So number five, please be sure all blanks are filled in and fixtures, utilities, information is the same as provided with the listing. Inaccurate information shows you don't pay attention to details or just don't care. That's that's kind of a little, little gruff, isn't it? It is a little gruff and I agree with this point in the sense that you want to have good form in the offer that you're submitting. Take the time, be a professional, um, fill out all of the legal references correctly, especially if they've been provided to you in the listing. It does show that you're professional. It does show that you know what you're doing. It does show that you've read the listing um, and, and understand everything that's going on. A lot of these things are going to get worked out in the purchase and sale and um, making a mistake at this point isn't fatal. But I suppose in the situation where you are dealing with uh, multiple offers, you want to read the instructions carefully. You want to have the information filled out carefully um, because there is at least the small possibility that that's what's going to set your offer apart against another competing offer. Mm -hmm. So this next one actually has a couple things together, and I want to break this up into two little parts. Uh, and I feel as though it's a bit of a loophole um, in in someone that submitted an offer in this manner. Um, she says, "Be honest. Please don't include that you're waiving appraisal, and intend to pay out of pocket if appraisal comes in less. If the source of funds is coming from the sale of your client's house that you didn't include as a contingency, and hasn't even been listed yet." So. Let me just break that up really quickly. So the first part of it, if there is an appraisal contingency and the appraisal comes in below um, the agreed upon amount, mm -hmm. what's the basic on what, what can be done there? Let's say that you agreed upon 450, the appraisal comes in 425. Um, as a buyer, can you bring 25K cash extra? Yes. So 
you know, what you can and what you have to do will actually come down to this moment and what exactly the offer to purchase says. But yes, as a buyer, you always have the option of bringing extra cash to the table um, in the case of a low appraisal. And that will solve the situation and allow the closing to happen um, for sure. Okay. Now, this person is saying if the appraisal comes in low, uh, they're waiving appraisal contingency. So let's just say that situation actually came true. So mm-hmm. they offered 450, it's agreed upon. Uh, the appraisal comes in at 425. There will be an appraisal because there's a bank involved and the, the bank is hiring the appraiser, right? To, to protect their interest. That's correct. And you said in the offer, no problem, we'll cover it. No appraisal contingency, but we are going to cover the difference in case it comes in low. But by the way, I'm not going to tell you this part, but this is the truth that it's going to come out of the funds of my place that I got to sell to buy this place. Like I could tell the listing agent wasn't really thrilled in a situation like that that came up. What, what are your thoughts on all that? So I... I, so there was actually a lot that can be strategized here. If the listing agent is offended that the buyer side didn't didn't explore this and make put it into detail, I disagree with that sentiment. Here's an actually opportunity for a buyer that has a well drafted offer to communicate the value to the seller. So if they're in a situation where they you know, they are using financing and the appraisal matters, but they're willing to um, cover the difference in the case of a low appraisal, then communicate that clearly and not in vague terms. So just saying that um, in case of a low appraisal, we'll cover it. Well, I would actually take it one step farther and actually explain what that means. So in the case of the appraisal, $50,000 less than the purchase price, then we are prepared to bring that $50,000 to the table. And here's a proof of funds that shows that. So that's a buyer's prerogative to demonstrate their value and to communicate it to a listing agent to, to show how strong they are um, as, as a buyer. Um, they, if you don't do that, you're not necessarily doing anything wrong or offensive to the seller side. But that's a way to clearly communicate your value, um, your value proposition to the list agent. Mm-hmm. Now, that that's actually goes right into the next point that's on this list, uh, which is number seven. If your buyer is offering to pay out of pocket on a low appraisal, do provide they have the means to do it by providing sufficient proof of funds at the time you submit the offer. Um, so in a situation like that, would that just be you know a bank statement showing that there's whatever 25K sitting in a checking account? So there is actually a new, um, there's kind of a, before in the past, we've either done proofs, uh, proof of funds or pre-approval letters to show where the money's going to come from to the for the purchase. But I'm actually coaching my agents now in this market to actually provide both. So a, a pre-approval letter for the portion of the purchase price that's going to be um, financed, but also provide a proof of, proof of funds for the down payment. Um, unless you're putting down a three and a half percent down payment, that you're going to have a, a pr- pretty substantial down payment. So demonstrate that you have that too. Um, and in the event that that down payment's coming from a home that you're selling, show how far along you are in the process of selling that home. Having a home sale contingency is not fatal to an offer. It's doesn't, it weakens your offer for sure. But if you can demonstrate that, you know, you are willing to sell the, this house, you're willing to sell this house for less than the market and that you've actually taken some steps to, to get it sold are going to go a long way. Okay, great. Number eight is a very uh, logistical matter, I suppose. Uh, please scan the offer as one PDF, a dot loop or other link takes more time to go through for everyone. 
So that may seem trite, but that actually is a really important thing to think about. You want to make it as easy as possible for the seller to accept your offer mechanically. And that means not relying on whatever internal system that your office happens to have to transmit it over. If you have DocuSign transaction rooms, dot loop, or any other e-signature software, don't assume that the other side is employing that same software or that they're willing to create a login or to put together the document for you. The best way for you to do it is to take the extra few minutes, compile everything down to one PDF that can be submitted and easily read to the other side. When I'm in court, I try to make it easy for the judge to rule my way by drafting uh, a decision for the judge in advance. That way, in order to rule in my favor, all they have to do is maybe make a couple edits and sign something. Mm-hmm. That's not going to win the case for you if you have a losing case, but taking that step makes it mechanically easier for you to get your way. So make it mechanically easier to get your way by giving the, the listing agent what they need to accept your offer. Right. But, you know, the presumed close is never a bad idea. Absolutely. Okay. So the, these final three, I'll, I'll kind of go into how to hold yourself as a listing agent that's sitting on top of almost 40 offers, which, which by the way, that's part of the service, right? I know that like, there's a lot of folks out there that are wondering if they should do for sale by owner, uh, or if they should be using an agent and they might not want to be paying, uh, you know, four to 6% commission, depending on the market on the sale of the house. But I mean, this is a lot of work to run through all this. It's, it's a lot of work to go for it. And remember, you're not just lining up offers from highest price to lowest price. You have different competing terms, timelines, strengths of buyers, and everything needs to be weighed. Um, and a professional can help you sort through it and sort through it in a way that also doesn't open you up to any claims of housing discrimination or bias. Mm-hmm. So uh, the final three points, number one is be nice. One house has too many offers. Uh, one house and too many offers is tough on us listing agents too. You know, it sounds a little, you know, boohoo for me, but no, it's legit. Like you want to do business with people who are nice to you, right? And well, it, it is a little boohoo for me, but the, again, if you're working for the buyer and you want your buyer's offer accepted, make, you know, in addition to making it easier for the seller to, to accept your offer, make it so that the listing agent wants to work with you for that 45 days between the offer getting accepted and, and closing. Again, it's probably not going to turn a, a loser of an offer into the winner, but if it's, up, if it's up there and it's the only difference and the listing agent would rather work with you for the 45 days, then um, just be nice and make it so that they, they want to work with you. So where's the ethical boundary when you are the listing agent and you're reviewing all these offers with your client? Now you're presenting them all because mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've made it clear many times to me that all offers need to be shown to, to the client. And let's say there's two that are, you know, the number is identical. They're both 450 in that same example I was talking about, mm-hmm. but you know that you like agent a more than agent B because they're more buttoned up. They get back to you quickly. They're just, it's a smoother process. Forget about like personal, like, you you know, oh yeah, this guy's my boy from back in the day. And this one, I don't know who they are, but for whatever reason, like, do you, do agents ever steer toward a preferred agent? If the numbers are about the same. Steering is the wrong concept to have here in the event that you have two competing offers and you're going on to some kind of 
intangible characteristics like that, I would point out the pros and the cons of different offers. And one of the, the pros can certainly be that, you know, I've had a good, I've had good experience with this other agent in the past. Um, they are responsive. They are honest. Um, they can never, you, you can never know exactly how that buyer client is going to turn out. But I know when I work with that buyer agent at the very least, um, they're, they're responsive and you can, you can go from there. Um, and things make it may come down to small things like that. Okay. Number ten uh, is be patient. So while you wait for the for the seller's decision, please don't text and call every half hour. We have a lot of offers to review, and one of them is for your client and deserves time and attention. That's true. There's nothing um, con- you know controversial there. You don't you don't win somebody over by bothering them every twenty minutes. Um, that's not going to help anything. Um, but I have had. Um, Put it, submitted offers for buyers where the listing agent it then doesn't get back to you afterward after they've made a decision, accept an offer, and then you have to bother them a day later. And they said, Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to get back to you. We accepted another offer. That's painful too. Um, and that's bad form on the other side. But yes, uh, if they've, if your offer has been acknowledged, um, you are probably not helping yourself out by asking for constant updates. If you are suspicious, suspicious that the offer is not going to be presented to the seller. Um, you actually do have some rights in there and that's, I don't want to get into the, the details, but you can get um, asked for proof that the offer was submitted to the seller. Now, once the offer, once they've decided which offer to accept, if indeed they want to accept any of the offers, um, it is customary for the listing agent to get back to everybody else, right? And say, I'm sorry, your offer was not accepted. Thank you. Have a nice day, right? Or, or what's usually in the in that communication? A common decency would dictate just that. Um, thank you for your interest. We had you know, just like getting turned down for a hot job opportunity. Yeah. Um, the the language is going to be about the same, but they should be prompt, um, and they should get should get back to you. And, and then sometimes the agent who submitted an offer might say they might ask a question like, "Was there anything specific in the offer that um, you know?" that pushed you in a different direction or, or what have you. I mean, I guess there's a fair amount of back and forth that's either accepted or customary, but eventually you're just going to have to move on. But you, know, you can get some feedback, right? It's, I always ask for feedback. Um, it's usually never volunteered. I always ask for feedback. And it's usually something along the lines of, um, I understand you had a successful open house. I'm just curious um, where we beat on on price or on terms, something that opens up the door where they can answer you back um, and volunteer some more information of, uh, about where you lost on the offer. And, and how often do you actually get feedback? Usually they'll open up and explain something. They'll say, you know, that's when you be told about the all cash offer or some other aspect in that helps. That gives as a buyer's agent, you really want to know that because of course your buyer client wants to know um, what happened to the offer. Right. And before I get to this final point, like what about a situation where, you know, I think people are used to submitting, you know, your offer by 5 p.m. on Monday or or whatever the terms are. How often do 5 p.m. Monday comes, they get 38 offers in this situation. What if they want to, you know, have a bit of a bidding war right there? Like they they maybe already have it because they had that many offers come in. Mm-hmm. But could they go back to like everybody that submitted offer saying last and final tomorrow and they go back to all 38 people that submitted it or do they go back to the top five or, or what might happen there? Um, all those outcomes are fairly common. Um, if they go, if they 
ask for a best and final round where they turn around to the offers that were submitted. They've rejected all of the original offers and they're asking everybody to resubmit a new one. Um, I've seen this in about, it's about a coin flip right now, whether or not they'll accept one of the original offers or whether they'll do a best and final round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually a best and final round is to, to flush out um, the top offers. You might be, if you're one of the lower offers, they may invite you to as well, but they're really looking for the top offers to differentiate themselves from each other. Yeah. It almost feels like game theory. It's a whole separate episode, I think. If we should talk about, you know, how to bid on the property, what situations with multiple offers, how to, you know, do best and final. Like, well, let's put a pin on that one and we'll get back to that. All right. All right. Last but certainly not least on uh, this listing agents list is above all else, please be kind yourself and stay positive. Uh, You're doing an amazing job in providing your value to your client every day and in so many ways. And I think that's an important way to kind of, uh, you know, start to end up this conversation because, you know, everyone's looking for a deal. They're looking, it's very competitive out there uh, these days. People want edges, but you, you need a legal edge. And sometimes it can get, you can really down yourself if you're not getting offers submitted. If you're the clients that are submitting seven, eight, nine different offers, not finding that place to live. If you're the agent that's just going to open house after open house and nothing's getting accepted, you could get really down on the entire situation. Um, so sometimes just a little boost of confidence being like, Hey, listen, you didn't get this one, but like, you're doing a good job. Hang in there. You're going to get one of them. Like that's, that's, that's certainly uh, welcome these days. That is a great sentiment. And that comment right there makes for a, the perfect rejection email from the, the listing agent. Um, if you're looking for what language to put in there, that's it. And it's a, you know, we are in a particularly tough seller's market right now with low inventory. Um, hopefully by the time this podcast is produced and released, we've come down a little bit, um, though my hopes aren't quite there. Uh, and buyer agents just need to know that that they've done what they could um, and it just didn't get the offer. And your buyers also need to hear that too, that, you know, they did everything right. Your buyers did everything that they could. Um, and it's just the situation that um, prevented them from getting the house. It's not any mistake that they made um, or any problem with them. Right. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, but, you know, hang in there, everybody, if you're listening to this and, and you are a real estate agent who is just submitting offer after offer. Uh, hopefully some of these tips are ways that you can take into your next offer and maybe win that one. If you are a listing agent, we'd love to hear your feedback and comments. If you agree with some of these points, if you have other ways that you would present it yourself, uh, you know, shoot us an email or message us. Uh, we're going to post this on YouTube, obviously, so you could use the comments below. Uh, and Rory, where else uh, can people find you? You know, go over all your websites and details, and uh, and we'll we'll put a pin in the whole episode. The easiest place to find me is at nexthometitletown.com. You can contact me many ways through there. If your question is particularly legal, I'm also at urbanvillagelegal.com. Um, I'm happy to reach out to you however you get in touch with me. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Rory. Thank you for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And uh, if you want to give us a like or a positive feedback, on whatever podcast platform you heard this on, uh, it certainly would help us out and uh, get this in front of some more folks who might benefit from the information. Uh, so we'll look forward to our next episode. And uh, that's it. Thanks, Rory. Thanks, Jason. See you next time. See ya. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. 
and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.